Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Bars. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth in Education podcast, where we explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK, with a range of expert guests. This podcast is brought to you by the Centre for Education and Youth. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I speak with Professor Becky Francis, CEO of the Education Endowment Foundation. We discuss the EEF's involvement in the National Tutoring Programme, which launched at the end of 2020, and also explore other projects that the EEF has been working on this year to support the education sector. I hope you enjoy the podcast and wish you all the best for the new year. Thanks for listening. The Centre for Education and Youth believes society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at cfey.org. I'd like to welcome this episode's guest, Professor Brecky Francis. Hi, Becky. Thank you so much for joining me today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Alex. Thank you. I'm Becky Francis. I'm CEO of the Education Endowment Foundation, and I was previously director of the UCL IOE and before that professor of education and social justice at King's College. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, You've had an absolutely stellar career so far, and I'm sure lots more interesting things to come too. You've worked across academia, think tanks, and, and now in the third sector. How have you found the experience of of working in all those different environments? Thank you. Well, my last role as director of the IOE at UCL was a terrific privilege to lead the largest education faculty in the world. But when the offer came through to combine my long-standing passions and career interests in research, social justice and the school system in one role, that was really too great to pass up. The Education Endowment Foundation have built huge credibility and influence in the education system over the last 10 years. And I'm also proud to lead an incredibly talented team. So I feel really delighted to be in my present position. That's lovely. That's really nice to hear. Do you have any sort of key learnings that you think that you've gathered from working across all those different areas? Yeah, um, I've loved my academic career, but I've always been interested in research impact. I've always been keen to see research making a difference and supporting policy and practice. And that's taken me into other roles where impact can be more direct. Often there's a balance between depth and responsiveness. So although academic research tends to have great rigour and depth, think tanks, of course, are very good at being fleet of foot and responding directly to policy questions. And finding a balance Mm. between those two is really challenging. And I think, again, at the EEF, we've been able to establish a reputation for rigour, but also trying to ensure that we stay attuned to key questions for the profession. And actually, one of the best means of that has been our research school network that really reaches out, giving us that regional intelligence, but also that immediate feedback from schools about what's most useful to them as well. Yes, that's really important, isn't it? Being able to see at different levels. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And as we all know, it's been a really tough and unusual year. I think many of us are really glad to be coming to the end of 2020 and looking forward to a fresh start in 2021. How would you describe the key priorities for the EEF right now? 
Well, I think we're all desperate to try to get back to a usual footing, aren't we? But I guess one of the challenges as well for us is to be able to build on the kind of hands-on work that we've engaged during the pandemic. So I think my challenge for the year ahead will be to build on that learning that's been established at the EEF over the last decade, but coupled with the hands-on work with the National Tutoring Programme and the Nuffield Early Language Intervention and so forth that we've been involved with during the crisis, to really be more directive in enabling us to identify and then advocate for evidence-led approaches to narrowing the socioeconomic gap for educational attainment really addressing those gaps and then also being prepared to kind of roll up sleeves and support evidence-led practice into the system. Mm, That's fantastic. Yeah, that's a very important balance for us as well, actually. We spend a lot of time thinking about how the research that we do can really be kind of put into practice and what it means for practitioners on the ground. And I think being in touch with what's actually happening and how things work in practice is so important. Agree. You've covered some of um, the really important things that the EF has been uh, busy taking on this year. And in particular, one of those is the National Tutoring Programme, which launched last month with 32 organisations that were selected by the EF and who plan to deliver high quality tutoring to disadvantaged pupils in schools. We know that the National Tutoring Programme was established in response to concerns that the coronavirus pandemic has widened the attainment gap between poorer pupils and their peers in English schools. Could you talk through some of the evidence that supports the use of tutoring as a response to some of the challenges that we faced this year? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, again, we were in a good place in relation to having harvested that evidence prior to the pandemic to be able to draw on that existing work uh, to think then about what is going to be most appropriate in the situation, both following but also during the ongoing pandemic, which, of course, has lasted longer than I think anyone expected back in March. Mm. We drew on the evidence from our toolkit and anyone interested can look that up. You can see the evidence both for one-to-one tuition and also small group tuition represented there on the teaching and learning toolkit. We'd actually trialled various interventions through our randomised control trial work, showing an effect of high quality tuition approaches, again, both one-to-one and small group, but also the positive effect of a graduate provision, which, of Mm -hmm. course, underpins the academic mentors element of the National Tutoring Programme. And we can talk a little bit more about that in a minute, if that's of use. We also have the latest meta-analysis on tutoring. And we've really tried to ensure fidelity to that evidence in the design of the National Tutoring Programme. Now, what's really hard there is then balancing that evidence-led approach with flex to circumstances on the ground in schools, and particularly given the context of the pandemic. So that's led, for example, to ongoing conversations about whether the provision needs to be based in school, where the evidence suggests it will be most effective, and you can imagine the issues about attendance and so forth, and how they play there, balanced with the needs if schools are really challenged for space because of social distancing issues, or indeed kids are self-isolating and whether it can be delivered remotely. 
So those are some of the tensions that are coming through in practice. Luckily, we'll be evaluating the work so we can also find out more and contribute to the evidence base about what is effective practice. Yes, that's going to be really important, isn't it? I think we are kind of working in a much overused word, but unprecedented circumstances here. And I think there's a certain amount of trial and error that's needed in order to work out exactly the most effective way of delivering this in so many different environments and circumstances. And it's great to hear that you're sort of responsive in the way that you're looking at how it's going to be delivered in different schools. Mm-hmm. This kind of feeds onto that, really. Schools are going to be able to choose from a sort of range of different approaches across the different tutoring providers. And I wondered whether you would have any advice for schools and school leaders who are looking at the options and trying to decide what to go with and what would be best for them. Yes, definitely. Well, a couple of things to say here. I mean, firstly, and importantly, schools and teachers can be assured that providers have met our quality bar. That was part of the point. Um, We commissioned only those tuition providers that had met our rigorous criteria around qualifications, training and safeguarding. So hopefully that's a really you know, reassuring starting point. Definitely. It's also important, of course, that this works for teachers. We felt all along and have designed the NTP to have teachers in the driving seat We don't want, you know, tuition providers to be complicating things, using different curricula and so forth. So that's really important that the classroom teacher is the authority here. But equally, again, a balance, because, of course, we want to help. We don't want to increase workload. Mm. So there's guidance on the NTP website for schools and teachers around some top tips about what to think about, how to balance their immediate needs, and then what the implications are in relation to choosing their particular partner that's suitable for them. And we're we're really glad as well that we've been able to ensure that there are offers right across the country. That was one of the things that I'd been worried about at the beginning of the programme, because we know that typically there have been more tuition offers in the southeast and London notably. So spreading that good practice and that quality provision across the country and having that available for all schools was really important. I've been really heartened to see that the programme is succeeding. That's really good to hear. Yes, that's really important, isn't it? Because I think the environments in the inner city and, and in the more rural areas are very different. And sometimes provision can be just so much harder to, to access if you're in a different part of the country where you don't have things on your doorstep in the same way that you do in London a lot of the time. I'm really glad to hear that there's a wide range of options available. In a recent piece for Schools Week, you commented that the National Tutoring Programme could be a chance to reverse a trend that the Sutton Trust's 2017 Extra Time report described as a parental arms race in England in the form of home tuition. In light of this, do you have any thoughts or advice on how schools should approach selecting young people to benefit from the National Tutoring Programme? And do you think that parents should be involved in that process at all? Hmm. Well... There's a well-known phrase that schools can't compensate for society. Mm. But interestingly, the pandemic has highlighted how far schools do compensate for society, I think. Yeah. Not completely, of course. But social inequalities between families mean that reliance on home learning exacerbates inequalities in a range of ways and for a range of different reasons. And that's been really illuminated this year, I think. Mm. 
So high quality tuition for kids from disadvantaged backgrounds can offer a means of individualised support that many middle class families take for granted. And it's also an ideal method for addressing specific issues around learning loss for individual kids, of course. In terms of that notion of a wider educational arms race, I'm under no illusion about both the scale and the multifaceted nature here. And of course, that again, as I've said, those inequalities have been compounded by the pandemic in so many ways. Mm. So maybe intervene in the arms race would perhaps be more accurate than reverse. But I do feel strongly that in conjunction with other evidence-informed approaches and supporting teachers working in schools in disadvantaged areas, we can make progress. And I hope that the NTP is a really good illustration of that. Lovely. Thank you. Yes, I think it's one of the most sort of fascinating things that's come out of the impact of the pandemic on schools, isn't it? The way that the kind of the lines between family and and community responsibility and and the responsibilities of the school have really sort of blurred. And we've had parents taking the role of teachers and schools taking the role of family support. And one of the things that I hope has come out of that is a kind of a a better understanding perhaps of both sides and as you say I think the opportunity in some circumstances for tutoring to maybe reach young people who wouldn't normally have access to it could be really a game changer I think in this situation and I hope it will be. Yeah thank you it's certainly illuminated helpfully I think the expertise of teachers and there have been so many appreciative comments from parents about sort of recognising and realising that expertise and the value of it, which is a really good boost to the profession at a really difficult time, I think. Absolutely. Yes, it matters so much when it's been such a tough year for teachers, doesn't it? In terms of the day-to-day work of the National Tutoring Programme Tutors, what's that actually going to look like? And although we've touched on a little bit already, what are you hoping the impact of the tutoring will look like? And sort of beyond that, how and when are we going to be able to determine whether it's actually working and having the impact that we want too? So tutors will be working in small groups with pupils, typically ranging from group sizes of one to three. And those pupils, we're targeting kids from disadvantaged backgrounds. And those will be on particular subject areas, typically maths and English, but also other curriculum topics as well. Mm. And as I've said, the vast majority of that provision will be happening in school because of the evidence that this is the most effective way to deliver tuition. Of course, it ensures attendance and so forth which has been shown to be more difficult with remote provision. But nevertheless, as I was saying before, you know, we've taken steps to ensure flexibility there where the need is high from schools. And then you're absolutely right to ask us about how the work will be evaluated and assessed, because it certainly wouldn't be the Education Endowment Foundation if we didn't have an evaluation and an independent evaluation built in. Mm. So the provision is being evaluated by the NFER and we're already beginning to get quality, qualitative feedback from schools. Actually, some of that case study feedback is on the NTP website at the moment. And it's really heartening to see the great feedback from schools from anywhere from London right up to Northumbria. 
in terms of more formal evaluation, of course, we'll begin to get the process evaluation findings first cut in January. And that is so important because it helps us to understand how things are progressing and also where necessary to be able to build on that learning as well. The outcomes from the match sample study in terms of actual outcomes for young people's learning will come at the end of the academic year. Mm. That's great, though, because you're really getting uh, into the detail in a very quick turnaround there, which is really good to hear. And I'm glad to hear that the first feedback that you're getting at this stage already is looking positive. That's really encouraging. Thinking about impact more widely, studies frequently report the average impact. But as you've pointed out, it's quite important to look beyond average impact and to understand how different groups in particular are affected in different circumstances. Can you explain a little bit more about why and how you think the EEF could encourage a more nuanced view of impact? Yeah, so overall trends are, of course, vitally important. And in RCT work, you, of course, need very large samples to enable statistical power. Obviously, that then prevents sometimes being able to say meaningful things about smaller subgroups. So I think that finding ways to look for other patterns in the data is important. You know, there are questions about intersectionality, for example. And interestingly, I'm very mindful from my own work that it is possible to drive further on some of that nuance and dig further into the overall data to look at particular trends, potentially for different subgroups or addressing different questions, as you're suggesting as well. So I think probably a balance of both elements is important. And I do think that there is more that we can do to harness some of the work that's already going on, developing that level of detail. But nevertheless, I think that some of the power of the EEF's work in the sector has been around the kind of scale and the experimental nature Mm. of our RCT work. You know, schools are very interested in knowing about what works, what is going to be most effective and so forth. And the RCT methodology has been very helpful to that end. Mm, mm, That's a really good point. Thank you. That's really helpful. Now, this is something that you've touched on a little bit already. So just to come back to it, the National Tutoring Programme is also offering support from academic mentors, and they're uh, going to be recruited and trained by Teach First, I understand. From your perspective, what do you think this will offer to students? And why is it particularly important now? Yes, so this was always designed as the second arm of a two-arm offer. We have tuition partners, which is the almost traditional tuition being provided additionally, if you like. And that's the element that the EEF is leading on and that I've just described. Mm -hmm. And then we have academic mentors, which, as you say, is being delivered by Teach First and is the model where trained graduates are working in the classroom for schools in areas of disadvantage, really providing that hands-on support for the teacher, delivering small group work, uh, revision sessions, and so forth. And it's really very much based on a trial that we did around an intervention called the Graduate Coaching Mm Programme, which in regard to the EEF RCT of that study, 
it showed progress of an additional five months for the kids that were involved in that. And it was based again on improving reading and writing skills and a combination of one-to-one and small group tuition. So there's real evidence sitting behind that mode, but it's also, of course, particularly responsive to schools' needs in the case of the pandemic. Mm. That's great. Thank you. Yes, I think I did a write up of that when it came out. It's <laughs> definitely ringing a bell. It's familiar to you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's really good to hear. And I think um, that additional support for teachers at the moment is vital, isn't it? Because I think we know that already before the pandemic, teachers were very stretched in terms of delivering the curriculum and being able to support pupils as well. And having kind of that extra support at the moment will be really helpful, particularly when we know that, you know, for some young people, it will have been an especially difficult year and getting back to normal with learning is going to take quite some time. Thanks very much for sharing that. I know that previously commenting on on the launch of the National Tutoring Programme, you said that tutoring can only be one part of the response to the severe impact of the pandemic on learning. What else do you think needs to happen to support young people at the moment and how can different groups such as policymakers, researchers, charities, families help to make sure that young people get back on their feet and back on track? Thanks Alex. Well it's a huge question isn't it? Mm. Of course there's been a big focus on well-being in schools and of course other interventions aside from the NTP to address learning loss And as an aside, I mention again there our work to scale up the Nuffield Early Language Intervention, Mm. Um, again, a very well-evidence-based approach to supporting language development, again, trying to remediate some of the issues around lost learning during the pandemic. But we clearly need a strategic and multifaceted approach. I think We've tried to develop in our school planning report guidance, which again can be found on our website, a sort of threefold approach to this. At risk of sounding mundane, the main focus for schools should still be on that all important quality teaching. That is what's going to make the most difference always to kids' progress And as we know, it's particularly important for kids from disadvantaged backgrounds. Uh, So finding ways to develop high quality teaching and to support pedagogy remains the most important thing. And that can be through CPD on a range of fronts. You know, an obvious example here is CPD for uh, effective remote learning delivery, given the challenges during the year of the pandemic. But there is so much more that we can be doing as well with CPD across a range of fronts. And supporting early career practitioners, again, is particularly important this year, given the additional layers of challenge. So that's our sort of main focus. And then the two other areas that we encourage schools to think about are, first of all, interventions and additional help for catch up. And those might include some of the provision that we've been talking about already in this podcast, you know, the tuition support particular interventions around literacy and numeracy, et cetera, et cetera. And hopefully, again, we would see uh, EEF evidence here as providing a resource for schools when they're thinking about their options. 
And then finally, there are the whole school approaches. And if you like, the necessities, the things that have to be in place, first of all, to facilitate learning. And those might include um, well-being strategies. They might include parental engagement, really the provision to ensure readiness to learn. Yes, I think it's a really important time to kind of bring everyone together, isn't it, in in supporting young people and, and making sure that there's that kind of alignment between all the different groups that are affecting young people's lives and everyone's working together towards the same goals. And um, we've seen lots of really positive examples of that at CFEY this year, and it's great to see that there's a lot of people working together to support young people at the moment, which is so important. I know that you've been really busy this year. You've you've had so many different kind of things on. And I wondered whether, having talked at length about the National Tutoring Programme, whether there's anything else in particular that you'd like to highlight for our listeners? Well, I would like to say thank you. Thank you to teachers and school leaders anyway. I mean, it's been an eye-wateringly difficult year. I know there's sort of exhaustion across the sector, but it's been a Herculean task that school leaders and teachers have undertaken. And I think, I hope that they all feel the appreciation because it really has been amazing, the educational response to the pandemic. I absolutely agree. And I would totally second that. I think the resilience of the sector this year has been so impressive. And it's been wonderful to see how people have continued to carry on such important work and stay focused on supporting young people at a time when there's so many other things going on around them. And it's been really heartening to see. And I'm sure there's going to be some really well earned breaks happening over Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. Within all of that, I'd like to highlight our resources that are intended to support and help. I'd also like to thank those schools that are continuing to support the EEF's research in the interim. I've actually been amazed. I'd assumed that all our projects would have to stop. And of course, many of them sadly have had to either pause or in some cases end altogether. But some are continuing on because schools have said that getting that evidence and trialling particularly responsive interventions is more important than ever. And I've been hugely impressed by that spirit. So I'd really like to thank those schools that are continuing to work with us on our research. And of course, that research will be scaling back up as soon as we are able. So I then thank other schools in advance for continuing to be receptive and supporting the EEF and our drive, which is a collective drive, to ensure evidence-led practice across the system. That's really lovely. Thank you, Becky. I think you're absolutely right. It's it's really important work and it's great to hear that you're pursuing things as best as possible at the moment and continuing on with the support of, of the schools you've been working with too. That's really fantastic. I also wanted to give a hat tip to um, the EEF's new podcast, which launched at the start of this month, which is really exciting. Did you want to say anything about that? I'd encourage our listeners to also give that a look out and a listen when they can. That's really kind of you, Alex. The podcast is led by Alex Quigley, who many of your listeners will be familiar with. And we think it's a sort of terrific extra resource to really dig into some of the issues that are challenging the profession. And of course, particularly around addressing the social disadvantage gap. So yeah, please do tune in. Brilliant. Yes, I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy it. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll be keeping up with it myself too, definitely. Thanks, Alex. My pleasure. 
And just to finish up for today, looking forward to the future, what are your goals or your hopes for the new year and and how are you kind of planning to work towards those? So I guess, first of all, we're all focused, aren't we, on beating the pandemic, you know, and then being able to focus concertedly on addressing the lost learning kids have experienced during the period. Mm. In terms of the year going forward, we'll be focused on further embedding the National Tutoring Programme as one of those approaches to help. As I've said, looking forward to being able to reinstigate our business as usual research project pipeline, not least to ensure that we can capitalise on some of the new practices that have emerged during the pandemic, and again to ensure that evidence-led practice going forward. We do need to build on some of the opportunities that have emerged, but we also want to make sure that they progress in an evidence-based way. So again, I'd like to see the EEF at the heart of that. Wonderful. I wish you all of the best with that going forward and uh, congratulations on everything you've achieved this year in spite of all of the challenges that we've faced. Thanks, Alex. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with me today and come on the podcast and look forward to catching up with you again in the new year. Thanks so much, Alex, and good wishes to all at CFEY as well. Lovely. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Excellent. Goodbye. We love making this podcast. If you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it, there's a few things that you can do. 1. Subscribe. Hit the subscribe button in iTunes or wherever you're listening. 2. Share. Share this episode with someone you know who will find it interesting. 3. Review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also, feel free to contact us via the links in the show notes. Thanks a lot.